are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday, and it's roided out on Built Bar. We're going to be telling a lot of truths on today's episode. What in the heck is going on with the Seahawks on third down? And which coaches and brain trust members are on the hot seat for the Seahawks? I promise it's only week 12, but... That's where we're at. We could call this Tragedy Tuesday. There's a lot of bumming topics that we're going to have to cover, but that's what happens when you start a season three and seven. Going to be a jam-packed episode. Tons of information, debate, discussion, you name it, coming your way. Glad to have you listening in, as always, to the Locked on Seahawks podcast five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. There have been a lot of issues on offense for the Seahawks. We have talked about them ad nauseum, but... There's one in particular. It's the one that fueled Pete Carroll's departure from the podium early on Sunday afternoon. It's the one that has left Tyler Lockett with a long soliloquy talking about how teams aren't playing what they expect him to play. And then Pete Carroll saying, well, you're assuming he's right. Some division created from it. It's all about third downs. And the truth of the matter is, you know, basic numbers sometimes don't tell the whole story. But when you're talking about third downs, and the Seahawks are in company with the Chicago Bears, Jacksonville Jaguars, and Detroit Lions, you don't even need to know the number to know that the Seahawks have been horrific on third downs when they're sharing that kind of company. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you just mentioned a couple of teams that have, you know, rookies, first-round picks at, at that, but but still rookies uh, at the quarterback position. And then the Detroit Lions with Jared Goff, who, of course, is in his first year in Detroit. And, and then you have – a quarterback in Russell Wilson who is among the highest paid players in NFL history. And, and so for Seattle to be at this spot, um, you know, among the, the bottom feeders in all of the NFL in terms of third down conversion rate with their backup quarterback, Geno Smith, completing much more, I mean, almost double, uh, you know, the, the number of passes on third downs that Russell Wilson is. Geno Smith is 15 of 22. Uh, you know, for 139 yards during his opportunities on third down. Russell Wilson, 13 of 37, just 35% completion rate on, on third down. Then, then to me, it, it is a very damning statistic, and it's one that is almost inarguable. I mean, there has been a player who has been better, and he is currently the backup in Seattle. So, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit yesterday, Corbin. I talked about it in, in past weeks. This is the Seattle Seahawks, not the Russell Wilsons. And so there has to be some accountability. And when you make the money that Russell Wilson does, then, then you have to be among those most accountable. If the Seahawks want to get winning, then they have to get Russell Wilson going. Yeah, they do. And the numbers that you demonstrated there, I tweeted out earlier, and it just it stunned me when I was looking at it. And of course, there have been plenty of listeners that have been tweeting at me, you know, we need context here, or you're trying to turn Russell Wilson into a scapegoat. No, I'm just giving you stats. And Russell Wilson has been the worst quarterback on third down in the NFL. And honestly, it's not close. You look at his completion rate, 35%. On third downs this year, you mentioned it, 13 for 37. 
the next lowest completion percentage for a qualified quarterback with enough snaps is Trevor Lawrence with the Jaguars at 44%, almost 10% higher than Russell Wilson. And oh, by the way, we've seen the Jaguars. We know the lack of weapons that Trevor Lawrence has. He does not have a DK Metcalf or a Tyler Lockett or even a Gerald Everett. He doesn't have any of those weapons. The Jaguars do not have near the talent that the Seahawks do. And so there are a number of things behind this really ugly 32% third down rate. It's not just Russell Wilson's fault. Geno Smith in his first two starts, the Seahawks were at around 25% for third down. So it's not like Geno Smith was having a ton of success on those opportunities. But I do find it interesting. You know, he had, I believe, 15 less pass attempts, something in that ballpark. And he had almost as many first down conversions throwing the football as what Russell Wilson does significantly higher completion percentage at 68%, a higher yards per attempt, 6.3 compared to 5.8. His passer rating is almost 20 points higher. So Geno Smith has been much more efficient, much more productive on third down. Both these quarterbacks have taken a ton of sacks in third down situations. Part of that's been, it feels like they've had, as Pete Carroll called it yesterday, third and catastrophe way too often this year. And that puts pass rushers in a situation they can get after the quarterback. They can just pin their ears back. The line hasn't protected well in these situations. So again, it's not all on Russell Wilson, but the numbers don't lie. Not just the fact that they're at 32% conversion rate. They are 31st for DVOA on third and long situations, according to pro football outsiders. They're 26th on third and medium, which is three to six yards, you should be able to hit on a good chunk of those. And the Seahawks have been one of the worst teams in the NFL. They're middle of the pack on third and short. When you're talking about a yard or two, they're 16th. And that's not necessarily great. It looks like they're world beaters compared to the other lengths on third down. But it's just been an unmitigated disaster. And I I think that a lot of the blame has got to fall on the table of Russell Wilson. You're the highest, one of the highest paid players in the NFL, one of the highest paid players in NFL history, as you mentioned. You're an eight-time Pro Bowler. You need to start playing like it. And he's never necessarily been great on third down, but he has taken those struggles to a whole new level. He has hit rock bottom when you look at that stat line. And again, I'm not arguing that Geno Smith needs to be the starter. You've made kind of that argument. I I don't agree with you on that, but... Geno Smith was better on third down. They need Russell Wilson to play much, much better in these critical situations. He's missed some open receivers. And the other thing that stuns me, Freddie Swain's been targeted nine times on third down. And this is not being offensive to Freddie Swain, but Tyler Lockett and Gerald Everett have been combined, targeted six times on third down this year. Freddie Swain's gotten targeted nine that's a problem right there. That's a systemic issue that you are not getting the football to your playmakers. So I can keep rattling off all these numbers, all these different statistics, but you put all those things together and now you're like, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. When you have all these issues, you aren't going to be converting third downs into new set of downs. And I feel like a lot of it falls on Russell Wilson. And clearly there have been other issues around him. It's just been a disaster. Corbin, you just mentioned a whole bunch of statistics there that I think that any true blue Seahawks fan would be nauseated listening to. But I'm going to mention the last one, and that is Freddie Swain has nine uh, pass attempts in his direction, whereas Tyler Lockett and Gerald Everett have six combined. 
Uh, you know, that to me just says it all right there. Russell Wilson is basically walking into this game and he is very much focusing in on DK Metcalf and, and for good reason. DK Metcalf is a special, special player, but also Freddie Swain and, and Tyler Lockett and Joe Everett. I think if you are just watching these football games, then then they are also very special players, more reliable route runners, more reliable pass catchers. But it doesn't even matter about the pass catchers. It matters who is throwing the football. And, and we saw an opportunity where Russell Wilson missed Gerald Everett in the end zone, where he skipped the ball to Freddie Swain. Both of those should have been touchdowns. A average starting NFL quarterback makes those throws. Russell Wilson is one of the most brilliant passers I've ever seen, and I've been doing this for a long, long time. But his play right now has been absolutely horrific. And so, as you mentioned, I, I have called for Geno Smith to be getting the, the, the starting nod at this point. And I'm not a, I'm not the only one. There have been many others out there. But right now, Russell Wilson is one of the reasons why the Seahawks are losing football games. He has to be more accurate than he's been. So blame it on the right middle finger injury. Blame it on the fact that he has a new offensive coordinator. Blame it on whatever you want. But the reality is, is that Russell Wilson is not completing passes at a high enough rate for the Seahawks to even be competitive at this point. Yeah, that's the issue. They're not converting on third down, and it feels like there have been a lot of opportunities. I think the play calling at times has been suspect in those situations. There are other factors here. You can't just put all the blame on him, but the more film I watch, there's just so many plays where receivers are getting open. They are being schemed open, and either Russell is not getting the ball to them or he's completely missing them being open. And in the middle of the field, that's nothing new. We've seen that. That's been a wrap on Russell Wilson, even at his best, is that he doesn't want to take those dump-offs or he doesn't see those opportunities. But we saw that again on Sunday where there were some easy first downs that he didn't take. There were some easy dump-offs in the red zone that he didn't take. And you can see what the result has been. They can't score points. They can't sustain drives. So a lot of it's on him. The line needs to be better. The play calling needs to be better. There are a number of factors here, but number three just has to play much, much better. If he does that, then everything else is going to get better for the Seahawks offensively. But until they get that improved performance, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Geno Smith was being more effective in those situations, and he was targeting Tyler Lockett. He was targeting. DK Metcalf. He was going for his star playmakers. It feels like Russell Wilson hasn't been doing that, especially with Tyler Lockett. The numbers bear that out. So we'll see what happens going into this next game against Washington. But this has been a problem all year long since day one. They have not been able to sustain drives, get third downs. And there's a number of factors at play. They just need Russell Wilson to step his game up. Coming up in the second quarter here for Tell the Truth Tuesday, we're going to be pulling out the hot seat meter. A lot of questions right now about the Seahawks brain trust, Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Where do they stand with a team at three and seven right now? What does their job security look like as the season heads into the final home stretch? You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. There's a lot of crazy things going on in the Pacific Northwest right now. There's a lot of panic 
Fans are in disarray. They have been for weeks. Their team is one and four at Lumen Field. They're three and seven overall. The pitchforks and the torches are out in full force on Twitter and other social media platforms going after John Schneider and Pete Carroll, among others, because this is just this is uncharted territory. This is supposed to be a team that's competing for a playoff spot, competing for championships. And right now, they're much closer to competing for a top five pick that isn't even theirs. It belongs to the New York Jets. So it's been a really rough 2021 season. And as you'd expect, the fans have been calling for the jobs of John Schneider and Pete Carroll. So let's talk hot seats here. We're going to bust out our hot seat meter, something that we haven't had to bust out for quite some time because the Seahawks typically are winning games. But when you're three and seven, everybody's job security gets a lot worse. So we're going to be going on a scale of one to five, one being the seat is ice cold, no worries. And five being there are flames everywhere. The house is about to burn down. That's so you're in the middle, you got a hot seat, but not burning. So Let's talk John Schneider here first, Rob. Obviously, one of the most renowned general managers in the NFL. There were a few teams, including the Detroit Lions, that were trying to make some overtures towards him last year. The Seahawks gave him an extension through the 2027 draft. So many great things that he's done in Seattle. Those incredible draft classes back in 2010 through 2012 that built the foundation for Seattle's Super Bowl teams. He's made some very savvy trades the last few years, stealing Quandre Diggs from the Lions for a fifth-round pick, Carlos Dunlap last year. Maybe he hasn't played well this year, but he gave him a huge lift last season when they got him from the Bengals for a seventh-round pick. So he's made a number of great moves for this organization. I still think he's one of the better general managers in football, but there's also no denying that his draft track record, I believe that has a lot to do with the struggles we are seeing on the field right now in 2021. And so he deserves to be scrutinized. He certainly does. And that's the thing is that I, I would agree with what you were just said there, Corbin. I think that, that John Schneider is among the better talent evaluators. I think he's a better uh, among the better just overall general managers in the NFL. But you start looking at draft history. And, and it is pretty ugly for the Seahawks. I mean, the fact that you just had a game against the the Arizona Cardinals and their second round wide receiver Rondell went absolutely you know bonkers against Seattle. Whereas whereas the Seahawks second round wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge, of course, has not or D Eskridge has not been able to perform it basically at all uh, so far this season for for injury and, and 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 perhaps other reasons i mean he has not yet shown the uh you know the the ability to to master the offense at least not to the uh to the extent that Shane Waldron feels comfortable with, with putting him on the field um you know the fact that Seattle only had three uh, selections a year ago because John Schneider and Pete Carroll have both been willing to kind of push all of their chips into the table to be able to, to try to win now. Uh, you know, I think that that is very much, uh, you know, a statement against the, the job that John Schneider has done at this point. I think that the Jordan Brooks is the first round pick uh, in, in 2020. LJ Collier is the first round pick in 2019. Rashad Penny is the first round pick in 2018. What are these players actually producing at this point that suggests that they should be first round picks? I can tell you some of the players that I've mentioned, I thought that the Seahawks should be considering in 2018, 2019, 2020. Uh, you know, and I would mention a guy like Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I was pounding the table, uh, you know, a year or two ago in our own show here that, you know, that he should be somebody that Seattle is considering. 
And all we've seen is Jonathan Taylor now has emerged as an NFL MVP candidate for the Indianapolis Colts, despite the fact that they have not had any kind of reliable play at the quarterback, receiver, tight end, offensive line positions. And so that's the thing. First round picks is what you know can help you win games, can help general managers get extensions. And that's one of the reasons why, going back here, that I think that for all of the, the, the arguments that one might make that why John Schneider is a little bit on the hot seat, he did sign that five-year extension. He is among the, the more coveted talent evaluators in all of the NFL. I think that he's probably at best right now uh, two out of five uh, in terms of our, our, our hot meter, our hot seat meter. I do think that John Schneider helped the Seahawks build for the future and still put this team in position to win a championship. But at the same time, the proof is in the pudding, and the pudding has got to get a lot tastier than it's been in Seattle. Say, so, hey, right now, the pudding, I don't know that you can even get it down. <laughs> <That's> just, <laughs> you look at the draft, I mean, he's had some hits, obviously, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Jaron Reed, that came on day two over the years, Frank Clark as well. There's been some really good players that he's found on day two, but the best first round pick that they've had since 2013 was Jermaine Effetti and fans were booing him out of Seattle after being a starter for four years. And to an extent, I understood why. I mean, he had penalty issues, inconsistent in both run blocking and pass protecting, never seemed like he took that big step that they hoped he would, but he's the best first rounder that they've had. Maybe Jordan Brooks ends up becoming that player, but his play is still too uneven to me to make you know, that assumption that he's going to be the best first rounder they've had. That's all you need to know. I mean, Rashad Penny isn't even to a thousand career rushing yards and he can't stay healthy. So, you know, he's not going to get to that level now. He's been one of the biggest busts in team history. LJ Collier can't even get on the field. Healthy scratch seven times in 10 games this year. They've given up on him. This is clearly evident. They've played him a few games and then otherwise they just catch him out of the lineup. You can't have that many misses. Oh, and then Malik McDowell, of course, too, with everything that transpired there. Can't really blame Schneider for the ATV accident stuff. Those are things they couldn't have you know, expected to happen. But he did have a track record where there were character questions. You can just keep going on and on and on. So the draft is really a big issue here. But the Seahawks made the decision last year to extend him in spite of that track record. So I don't see him going anywhere. I'm going to go two out of five as well. Now let's go to the other key member of Seattle's brain trust. That's coach Pete Carroll. And I have to believe that the seat is significantly hotter for him. And we're talking about the winningest coach in franchise history, a coach that the players still love and still have the utmost respect for. They want to play hard for him, but you're seeing a lot of issues on the field. He, he can't seem to find answers. Like we mentioned the third down stuff. He doesn't seem like he has a clue what to do at this point. Defensively, they have been no better than 11th in points per game allowed in the last five years. This year, they're seventh. We'll see if that holds. But they have consistently been a middle-of-the-pack or bottom-of-the-league defense with Pete Carroll as their coach in the last five years. You shouldn't have that issue when you have a defensive head coach of Pete Carroll's caliber but that's what has happened. The offense has become one of the worst in the NFL this year with a coordinator that he hired back in January. We'll get to more on Waldron when we get to the third segment on our show, but there's been so many things going on with clock management, questionable decisions, fourth downs. 
deciding to punt when they're in enemy territory, all kinds of stuff like that that has been going on for a long time. And the Seahawks have won games, so people have been able to forget about it. But now that they're losing games, all those mistakes and all those question marks now have been magnified. And with him being 70 years old, I don't see the Seahawks firing Pete Carroll because of his record. I mean, nine playoff appearances in 11 seasons. You can have one bad year and, you know, you can bring him back and hope that he's going to get back to his winning ways. But because of his age, I have to wonder, especially with him exiting the podium the other day, is he going to want to coach next year? If this year doesn't get better and the Seahawks don't finish strong, I could very easily see Pete Carroll, even with the fact that he signed an extension himself last year, I could see him being like, you know what? Sayonara. I've had enough. I'm done. I'm going to go off into the sunset. And he would be revered by the Seahawks fan base if he did that. They would celebrate everything he accomplished. But I think they'd also be excited for a fresh voice, whether that ultimately plays out in Seattle's favor or not. That's the way that he could be gone. I don't see the Seahawks firing him, but I'm going to go three and a half out of five. I think this seat is pretty hot, especially after what transpired on Sunday after the game. That seemed like that might end up being a historic press conference in Seahawks history. Yeah, I have to agree. It's just about everything that you just said, Corbin. I mean, uh, three and a half out of five. It feels a touch warm, and it should. Um, you know, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, I mean, historically, Pete Carroll has made some kind of, I think, questionable decisions. And that, that's just the nature of being a head coach in the NFL. You know, every every decision that you make is going to be scrutinized. And and there have been plenty of controversial calls that, that Pete Carroll has made. Um, I think that it bears repeating that nine of his 11 seasons in Seattle, that the Seahawks have gone to the playoffs, that obviously um, he, he's taken them to the top of the mountain uh, with, with the only, uh, you know, Lombardi trophy in NFL history, um, you know, that that bears repeating. But at the same time, as the oldest NFL coach, as the coach who is on the in best position to say, you know what, Russell Wilson, this is the one thing that you didn't mention before that I want to make sure I stress, is that he is the is the the man who is most in position to say, look, Russell Wilson, I acknowledge the fact that you just came back from this injury, but based on what I've seen in practice, presumably you just aren't ready to be able to lead our team. Our backup quarterback, Geno Smith, puts us in a better position to win. The last game that he quarterbacked for the Seahawks, we just trounced the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so why not just keep him in position to, to be the starting quarterback against the Green Bay Packers, against the Arizona Cardinals, once Russell Wilson struggled as much as he did in, in Lambeau. And so to me, that is one of the things that concerns me. It does, it does feel like that, that Pete Carroll's message is starting to go upon deaf ears a little bit. I do not see the Seahawks playing with that same type of enthusiasm, that same type of want to. Now, we have five more games left in, in this bizarre first 17-game regular season uh, in NFL history, and perhaps that, that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks will be able to turn things around. But if they do not – then that's a huge, huge question. I would 100% agree with you. I don't know that that Jody Allen, the owner, I have a great deal of respect for her um, and, and for Pete Carroll's success in the past. I don't know that that anybody in, in Seattle has the authority, frankly, to be able to, to tell Pete Carroll that his time has passed. 
But I do wonder if Pete Carroll is going to want to come back, considering the way that it feels like not only is his seat warm, but the whole house might be burning up all around him. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like the message is working as effectively. It's not resonating with players. They may say it is, but the play on the field suggests otherwise. And so you got to wonder if that message is stale. He's been with the franchise for more than a decade. He's the oldest coach in the NFL. It might be time for them to move on. I just I can't see the Seahawks with everything he has done for them. I can't see them firing him. Maybe they could reach an agreement. Hey, look, this is where we stand. We want you to retire. I've seen that happen with other legendary coaches, and it's worked. And if Pete Carroll bites back, then, you know, I think the Seahawks would be fine moving forward in 2022 and see if they can make it work with him. They don't want to fire it, but he definitely is on a warm seat. There's no question about it, and I think he's earned that to an extent. And there's another reason why that seat is pretty warm, and we're going to talk about that when we come back in the third quarter. We're going to be continuing our hot seat meter here on Tell the Truth Tuesday with Three members of the Seahawks coaching staff, including offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet Online is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online is and remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season, head to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. It's Tell the Truth Tuesday. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. Last segment, we looked at Seattle's brain trust. How hot is the seat for John Schneider and Pete Carroll? Now we're going to look at some of the understudies that are working for Pete Carroll because when you're three and seven, the microscope doesn't just go on the head coach. It also goes on the assistants, most notably the coordinators. And it's an unfortunate situation for Shane Waldron. We mentioned this in January when the hire was made. You are entering a pressure cooker, a first-time offensive coordinator in the NFL, a quarterback in Russell Wilson. The offense has been top 10 each of the last three years under Brian Schottenheimer. No pressure. You need to be better than what we just got rid of. That was a very difficult situation to walk into. And then you add in the fact that Russell Wilson reportedly was trying to push his way out. And there were some comments made about the poor pass protection in front of him, not having any say in personnel. We could go on and on about all the things that played out this last offseason. But Shane Waldron entered a very difficult situation as a first-time play caller. And... He came into this year, there were so many promises. We're going to have more tempo. We're going to have a more consistent tempo, a diversified run game, more under center, more pre-snap motion. The quick passing game is going to be emphasized. Those promises have not been fulfilled, though, on the field. Aside from week one, when Waldron and the offense teased fans, Rob, we just haven't seen any of those things consistently in this offense, I think that has had something to do with the inefficiency that they've had. This is just a very 
stale offense that has lacked the creativity that everybody was so excited about going into this. And it almost feels like at this point that he is in over his head. I have to believe that that seat is nearly on fire. It is smoldering. I'm going four out of five because unfortunately an offensive coordinator is the easiest scapegoat when a team is struggling to score points and I could see Pete Carroll after one year. In fact, I think this is where it's heading right now. Carroll probably keeps his job if he wants to keep it, but I could see this very easily being one and done for Shane Waldron because it just has not worked out at all. 25th overall in scoring per game, and you have Russell Wilson, all the weapons they have. It's an indictment on the job that he's done, whether fair or not. Took the words right out of my mouth, sir. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, you know Shane Waldron is the new addition, and they they have not been able to improve. They've actually regressed, and, and so that to me makes him a bit of the scapegoat at this point. I, I would agree. I think it has to be four out of five stars, if not higher. Um, you know, or maybe not four out of five stars, but four out of five in terms of the hot seat, absolutely boiling, kind of ooh, getting pretty hot here because we just have not seen the, the improvement by Seattle's offense. All of the different things that we had talked about, the short to intermediate passing, uh, the ability to put your receivers in motion, be able to kind of figure out what the defense is attempting to do pre-snap. Uh, all of those things, we, we haven't seen those. You, you bring in the tight end, Gerald Everett, um, you know, from the Los Angeles Rams, expecting that he was going to be able to come in and, and, and make it a little bit easier on Russell Wilson and the rest of Seattle's pass catchers to be able to acclimate to this new offense. And, and meanwhile, Gerald Everett basically has been just minimized in, in this offense. You, you have the, these flashy players, and I don't just mean DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I mean guys like D. Eskridge and Kobe Parkinson who were hyped up as being difference makers, and yet they basically are are, are getting three, four, five snaps a game at best on, on the offensive side of the football. And so there is just nobody other than Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf that the defenses have to really account for. And so I've seen no creativity on the offensive side of the ball. Now, I would argue this part partially goes back to the Pete Carroll conversation that we had before. You want to blame Russell Wilson for his say in Shane Waldron being an addition to this team. Then, then Pete Carroll has to be at, at the front of that line because, of course, he agreed to, to hire uh, you know Shane Waldron in, in the first place. But at the same time, we saw just in Montlake with the University of Washington, um, you know, before Jimmy Lake was fired, then then John Donovan w was fired because he was the scapegoat. I could see the Seahawks doing the exact same thing. So again, I, I will take a step back. If the Seahawks can show any sign of life over these next you know five, seven games, then then perhaps there is a chance to to resurrect uh the Shane Waldron experience in Seattle. But if that is not the case, then yeah, I think that Seattle might be looking for a different offensive coordinator, if not many more coaches in 2022 season that would definitely be a red flag on pete carroll's resume that he fired brian schottenheimer and then one year later he gets rid of his coordinator and he's looking for another one uh, that would show it was a failed hire so that was something to consider on his hot seat that would certainly not help his situation in terms of job security now going to the defensive side of the ball Ken Norton Jr., you and I have joked about this nonstop on our podcast. It, it feels like every single Monday for the last three years when we have done our mailbag segment, there's been at least two or three questions. Why don't we fire Ken Norton Jr.? Or why is he still on the staff? 
At this point, though, I feel like his job security is significantly better than what Shane Waldron's is because unlike Waldron, we have seen improvement from this defense. And I saw a step back this past game. That is true. Too many long drives, too many third downs allowed, some big mistakes. But they also had some injuries, particularly in the secondary. And yet, this is the number seven ranked scoring defense right now in the NFL. After the rough start they had, we have seen that Ken Norton Jr. can scheme up against an opponent and he can make adjustments. They have done that to fit with their personnel. We're seeing more cover six so they can play to Jamal Adams' strengths. There's been some uh, mixed up match and zone coverages. We have seen a lot of different things that he has done personnel-wise to try to get the best out of this defense. I think he's a mid-level defensive coordinator. You could maybe find an upgrade in 2022, but I'm going to go with three out of five just because they haven't been able to really turn that corner when he's been the defensive coordinator. Again, 11th in scoring defense is the highest they've been with him on the sidelines, but they are seventh right now, even with being 30th in yardage allowed. They have done a really good job at keeping teams out of the end zone for the most part, limiting them to field goal attempts, still kept them in the game on Sunday, even with it being a kind of disappointing effort. So I think he's done enough. As long as Pete Carroll's there and this defense is improving, I feel like those two are going to be attached to the hip. Now, if the defense falls apart last seven games, then Carroll might be gone and Norton might be gone. They might both be. But I think he's on a little cooler seat than Shane Waldron. I'll go three out of five. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that if Pete Carroll is back in 2022, then, then very likely Ken Norton Jr. is back as well. There, there has just been uh, a great deal of loyalty that, that Pete Carroll has, has shown his uh, his coaches and, and Ken Norton Jr. being among the, the, the men that he is that, that Carroll has been the most loyal to. And I think deservedly so. I, I would agree with you. I think that, that Ken Norton Jr. is a legitimate NFL defensive coordinator. I think it's also incredibly difficult in, in this era of, uh, you know, the NFL basically hyping up their offenses, all the different penalties that have been created to create, you know, scoring opportunities, the, the fantasy football revolution, all those different things. It would be very, very difficult to, to be a defensive coordinator in today's NFL. And I think that Ken Norton Jr. does a solid job. But if the Seahawks are going to continue to play the, the way that they do, where defense is the focus first, then I think they have to be better. The, the fact that they are ranked seventh, as you said, um, you know, in the NFL and scoring defense, that sounds good. And yet I think that three out of five is, is absolutely a, a fair evaluation for where Ken Norton uh, sits at this point. And, and that is not something you expect for, for a team that's ranked seventh out of 32 NFL teams in terms of scoring defense, especially the way that Seattle started. And that's where I'm going to kind of come back to for a moment is that where Seattle started. This cannot be the same thing it was a year ago or the year before that. It should We should not have to wait until November uh, you know, for the, the defense to start figuring it out. There is not the big additions this year that there was last year when Carlos Dunlap came in and magically improved this defense. Basically, the guys who are making big plays for Seattle's defense were the same guys that were on the roster back in August and September. So why the heck hasn't Seattle's defense played better back then? And so that, to me, is the biggest uh, you know, concern I have about Seattle's defense is you basically are relying, you're gambling on the fact that they're going to improve. And when you don't have the draft picks, you don't have the young players, you're going off of veterans, then eventually bank, uh, gambling on youth and improvement is a, lot, is, is a, is a game that you're going to lose. 
Let's go to the offensive line real quick for our last coach. And I didn't include this in my article. You can read in much greater detail my thoughts on all of the coaches and John Schneider as far as what that hot seat looks like on the Seahawk Maven. But I did not include Mike Solari, but I feel like we need to have this discussion because at least on film, the eye test, maybe the numbers don't completely back this up in every category, but it it has felt like the offensive line has regressed quite a bit. We have not seen Damian Lewis take that step forward in his sophomore season. They've had a hard time developing linemen throughout the Pete Carroll era, but it feels like there has been a regression there. Gabe Jackson's just been Gabe Jackson. He's been okay. Don't know that he's necessarily been the difference maker. The centers have just kind of been out there. They've been in the lineup. Brandon Shell's regressed some. Dwayne Brown, he's getting older. He's been banged up. He has regressed quite a bit. And we haven't seen any of the young linemen step into the lineup. The rookies, when they've had their chances, they struggled. I have some concerns about how Mike Solari and Andy Dickerson, for that matter, being involved with the offensive line as well, coming with Shane Waldron. I just don't feel like this line has been as good as I envisioned that it was going to be this year. I think that's got to fall back to Mike Solari, but I'm giving him a three out of five right now in part because I got to wonder if it's a good fit at this point. Now that you have a new system and you're trying to mesh him being more of a a gap guy in his career, meshing him with Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson, who are coming from a system that's very zone heavy I don't know if they are going to be able to marry those two ideas. And that was a question before the season started. So I think his seat is fairly warm because I thought the line was going to be a strength this year. And unfortunately, it has not been. That has played a small part, at least, in the offense playing the way it has. No, I think it's played a significant part. And I don't know that it is Mike Solari's fault. It just doesn't matter. It's all about the results. And and I don't know that you can make an argument that any of Seattle's offensive linemen have played to the level that they did a year ago, much less actually improve. And considering that you do have some young players on that team, Brandon Shell is still a relatively young player. And certainly Damian Lewis, Ethan Post, Kyle Fuller, um, you know, are young players. And so you are expecting some improvements at this point, um, you know, and, and so to me, that that is one of the biggest concerns. I think Mike Solari is a heck of an offensive line coach. I think that kind of the conversation we had previously, Ken Norton Jr. Um, being one of you know a, a solid defensive coordinator. I think Mike Solari might just be among the ten or, or twelve best offensive line coaches in the NFL. I mean, previous to his his stay in Seattle, he's at the San Francisco 49ers, New York Giants. I mean, some teams that had some a lot of success in the NFL. Um, you know, but at the same time, I 100% agree with you. I'm not so sure that his physical uh, or, or the, the the physical nature of which he expects offensive linemen to block with and, and play that that necessarily fits in very well with what Shane Waldron and Andy Dickerson are, are looking to do. So, you know, as you mentioned, we, we had some kind of concerns about this from the get-go when, when Seattle made the additions uh, of those two former Rams coaches and how well they would mesh with Mike Solari. I, I wonder if Mike Solari might be somebody who's going to have to kind of step on the sword a little or, or, or stand on the sword a little bit here. And, and he might be one of the fall guys for a team that frankly has not shown improvement in basically any different area of of the team most notably among the offensive line thanks for making locked on seahawks your first listen every day now check out the locked on bets podcast as your second listen it's your daily one-stop shop for all of your gambling needs 
Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Switching things up because it is Thanksgiving week. We won't be having matchup Wednesday. It's going to be a crossover special. I'll be teaming up with David Harrison of the Locked On Washington football team podcast to break down the upcoming Monday night game here in Week 12. Matchup Wednesday will be coming up on Matchup Friday. Might even be Matchup Saturday, depending how the holiday shakes out. But enjoy the time with your family. We'll be taking a little time away from the podcast to celebrate the holiday with our families. We will have a show coming tomorrow, a crossover special. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.